Hi, my name is Tony Thaxton. Like anyone else, I love a great album. But I also love those strange albums that might make you wonder how and why they even exist. But I'm not here to make fun of them. I'm here to celebrate them and tell their story. This is Bizarre Albums. Today's episode, NASCAR Goes Country from 1975. In 1954, music producer and future Country Music Hall of Famer Owen Bradley and his brother Harold bought a house at 804 16th Avenue South in Nashville to convert into a recording studio. They tore out the first floor of the house to create a recording space in the basement. They also attached a surplus Army Quonset hut to the back of the house to use as a television studio for filming musical performances. In 1955, the basement space became too crowded and the recording end of the studios moved into the Quonset hut. The studio had been officially known as Bradley's Film and Recording Studios, later getting the name Quonset Hut Studio. By the early 60s, the studio was averaging about 700 sessions a year, including huge hits like Brenda Lee's I'm Sorry and Patsy Cline's Crazy. Crazy, I'm crazy for feeling Other labels soon followed, setting up shop on what would eventually be known as Music Row, but the Quonset Hut Studio was the first. In 1962, Columbia Records purchased the studio and built their Nashville headquarters around it, and then Bradley bought a farm in Mount Juliet, Tennessee, just outside of Nashville, converting the barn into a studio. The studio was known as Bradley's Barn, and by 1965, it was being used by dozens of pop and country acts, including Gordon Lightfoot, Joan Baez, Conway Twitty. In 1968, American rock group The Bo Brummels even named their fifth album Bradley's Barn after the studio in which they recorded. The critically acclaimed album is considered one of the earliest examples of country rock. Over the next several years, Bradley's Barn would be the studio used by artists like Country Joe McDonald, J.J. Cale, Leon Russell, Roy Clark, and many more. But in 1975, Bradley's Barn would be the recording studio for another country music album from very different clients. Charlie Glotzbach is on the pole in car number 99. Richard Petty alongside. Row number two, Buddy Baker and Freddie Lorenzen. The third row, Hale Yarbrough and Pete Hamilton. The Green Flag. In the early 70s, the National Association for Stock Car Auto Racing, better known simply as NASCAR, had seen a big surge in popularity, especially amongst country music fans and the performers. Here's David Pearson and Daryl Waltrip from NASCAR Goes Country, a Fox Sports short film. In the 70s, the music business was being in Nashville. Everybody in the music business loved the race car drivers. Race car drivers uh, knew everybody in the music business. They wanted to be a part of it. And they would intertwine, you know. People just got to be friends. It was, a, it was a family. You know, good old boys making noise. We made noise with cars. They made noise with guitars. Cars and guitars. I mean, they just went together. They always have. The idea for a NASCAR country music album came from Jim Donahoe, who was the son of Nashville race promoter Bill Donahoe. The Donahoe family had connections to the music business. 
They would take NASCAR drivers to the Grand Ole Opry, and the musicians would often come to the races. There really wasn't much more to it than that. So Donahoe got six of the best NASCAR drivers of the time. Bobby Allison, David Pearson, Cale Yarborough, Buddy Baker, Daryl Waltrip, and Richard Petty, none of whom really had any singing experience, but they headed to the legendary Bradley's Barn. And in 1975... NASCAR Goes Country was released on MCA Records. Drivers, start your engines! The album starts with all six drivers doing a rendition of 99 bottles of beer on the wall. Seriously. The 20th century anonymous folk song. A song so long and boring that early in his career, comedian and performance artist Andy Kaufman would occasionally perform the song in its entirety in his act. Thank you very much. And it seemed like an appropriate song to start the album, with the drivers themselves admitting to how much drinking they did while recording. But this was a slightly different and much shorter version of the song, written by Gary Stewart and Bill Eldridge, originally released by Bill Howard in 1970, and that original version was produced by Owen Bradley. Yeah! That version of the song, as well as the entirety of the album, was produced by Bill Haynes and Milton Blackford. Blackford would later go on to work with Crystal Gale, Anne Murray, and Ronnie Millsap, just to name a few. And NASCAR Goes Country was only the second album that Haynes had ever produced, but he would go on to work with Conway Twitty, Loretta Lynn, and even producing an album for Willie Nelson. And Willie Nelson is one of countless artists who've covered Hank Williams' 1951 classic, Hey Good Lookin'. For this album, it's covered by one of the two drivers in NASCAR history to win three consecutive championships and the second NASCAR driver ever to appear on the cover of Sports Illustrated, Cale Yarbrough. The list of people who've covered Hey Good Lookin' is massive. But you probably best know the version from the soundtrack of the 1993 Pauly Shore film, Son-in-Law, performed by C.C. DeVille. No? Alright, fine. I guess we'll go to break here then. Richard Petty spent 34 years in NASCAR. He was the first driver to win the NASCAR Cup Championship seven times. He also won the Daytona 500 seven times and won 200 races during his career, both of which are records. He's the most accomplished driver in the history of the sport. And here, Petty takes a shot at Let the Good Times Roll, a song originally written and performed by Shirley and Lee in 1956. Come on, baby, let the good times roll. Come on, baby, let me thrill your soul. 
Come on, baby, let the good times roll. Roll all night long. Come on, baby, this, this is it. This is something that I just can't miss. Come on, baby, let the good times roll. Roll all night long. Petty's nickname is The King because of his accomplishments in NASCAR, not in the music industry. This record does have a connection to the other man nicknamed The King, Elvis. Backing vocals on the album were sung by the Jordanaires, who were best known for their recordings with Elvis Presley. Here, they join a man once named one of NASCAR's 50 greatest drivers, Bobby Allison. At the time of the recording, Allison drove an AMC Matador, so here he sings... Watch out for the matador. The track is fast and the cars are gassed and they're all set up to go. They're side by side and wheel to wheel and all lined up in a row. Gonna run all night, gonna run all day. Bet your money on a Ford or Dodge and some on a Chevrolet. And uh, watch out for the matador. Nicknamed the Gentle Giant, Buddy Baker enjoyed a 33-year racing career winning 19 races in the NASCAR Cup Series. He took everything very serious, including this record. Here's Bobby Allison in the Fox Sports short talking about Baker's performance in the recording studio. The whole thing was a fun deal, but but, uh, that was one of the the real highlights. He really got into it, and it was so much an illustration of Buddy Baker's personality. This record was full of legendary session players. Rockabilly Hall of Famer Ron Oates on piano, Country Music Hall of Famers Charlie McCoy on harmonica and Bobby Thompson on guitar and banjo, Buddy Harmon was the Grand Ole Opry's first regular drummer and had also played drums on Roy Orbison's Pretty Woman. Pretty woman, won't you pardon me, pretty woman. Plus members of the Nashville A-Team splitting the bass duties, Bob Moore and Owen Bradley's brother Harold Bradley. David Pearson was the NASCAR Rookie of the Year in 1960 and a three-time Grand National Series champion. Here, Pearson does Maybelline, a song that Chuck Berry recorded in 1955 when he was 29 years old at his first ever recording session. And this was Pearson's first time in a real recording studio. And that's where the similarities end. Start back doing the things you used to do. 
As I was motivated over the hill, I saw Maybelline in a coupe of beer. Cadillac rolling on an open road, nothing was out on my V8 Ford. Cadillac doing about 95, bumper to bumper, rolling side to side. Maybelline! Richard Petty is back to close the album out with a cover of Roger Miller's 1964 crossover hit, King of the Road. In addition to being competitive on the racetrack, the drivers were also competitive in the studio. Here's Daryl Waltrip in the Fox Sports short talking about Petty's performance. The only one that was really, and I don't mean this in an unkind way, the only guy that couldn't sing was Richard. Everybody else could carry a tune and kind of got through it pretty well. Richard, it was pitiful. Believe it or not, the drivers participated in a live concert at Florida's Volusia County Fairgrounds to an audience of 20,000 people. And that's just shy of how many copies of NASCAR Goes Country ended up selling. And it's not exactly what they had hoped for. In 2017, Bobby Allison said to the Bristol Herald Courier, quote, They recorded us, put it together. I thought it was funny, but it was entertaining enough that it should have sold a bunch of copies. End quote. None of the drivers were even paid, but instead got copies of the album to try and sell. Between that and the lack of marketing, the album tanked. Out in the West Texas town of El Paso, I fell in love with a Mexican girl. That's country music singer and NASCAR driver Marty Robbins. Yes, he actually did both. In 1975, he spoke to the Daytona Beach News Journal about the album, saying, quote, They set country music back 20 years. I've heard Petty sing. Well, that ain't the word for it. And I could have told him to stick to driving. End quote. Even though the album fared poorly, it didn't stop some of them from taking part in another album 10 years later entitled... World Series of Country Music proudly presents Stock Car Racing's Entertainers of the Year, Volume 1. But that is for another time. Thank you for listening to Bizarre Albums. If you like the show, please subscribe and leave a review. It helps people find the show. You can also follow the show on Twitter and Instagram, at Bizarre Albums, and I'm at Tony Thaxton. You can also like Bizarre Albums on Facebook and visit BizarreAlbums.com. And if you still want more Bizarre Albums in your life, sign up for weekly bonus episodes of Bizarre Singles and more at Patreon.com slash Bizarre Albums. And as always, if you know of a Bizarre Album you'd like to hear featured, please tweet the show. I'd love to hear from you. You can even email me at bizarrealbums at gmail.com. My name is Tony Thaxton, and I'll see you next time on Bizarre Albums. Bizarre Albums.